0: Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. Welcome to 2023. We've got lots lined up in today's show. There's Pakistan, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. A couple of England Lions squad announcements. Some controversial moments in the big bash. And off the back of that, the interview you've all been waiting for. Ben talks to Fraser Stewart, the man who's essentially in charge of the MCC's laws. I'm Yaz and with me today is Phil Walker and Ben Gardner. Mark Butcher will be joining us later in the show. I didn't mention it in the intro, but the biggest piece of news in the World Game this week was the shocking news of the, quite frankly, horrific car crash that Rishabh Pant was involved in. Phil, we should just be grateful that he's alive, really.
1: Chilling, really genuinely chilling. Um, at approximately 5.30 in the morning on the morning of December the 30th, he was driving home alone along the Delhi Expressway to see his mum, to visit his mum. Um, And he fell asleep at the wheel, dozed off, as the quote is, at the wheel for a moment. Car hit the road divider, flipped itself over twice, uh, and he somehow managed to have the presence of mind and the physical strength to smash, to shatter the windscreen and haul himself out of it moments before the car exploded um, and caught fire. Uh, He was then rushed to hospital um, in Derudan, uh, he was stabilised over the next few days. Remarkably, the MRI scans showed that his spine and brain were normal. So, I mean, God, thank heavens for that. And then he, after four days, he was airlifted um, to a hospital in Mumbai for urgent surgery on um, one of the two tears in his knee ligament area. So, uh, look, it's a it's a, maybe a sombre way to start the show and uh, in the first week of the new year but this really does all the cliches it puts everything in perspective and I was actually writing about him this is weird but I was writing about him um, without knowing what had happened to him because so I was writing about him on the 30th of December uh, and he was in our test team of the year for last year for the upcoming magazine and um, you know you write about his 146 against England and, you know, what a game changer he is and whether whether he can take on Gilchrist's record one day and, you know, what a, what a unique talent he is and all that sort of stuff. And you, you write about these people in this little, little bubble of, this sort of impenetrable bubble of joy, you know, nothing could ever happen to, to swerve it off. And then, weirdly, an hour or two later, I went online and found what had happened heard what happened to him and, and I don't know I, I, it's too early in the year to be profound but it was really quite shocking for the whole game um, and it goes without saying that that you know we all just we'll just pray that he, that he returns in, in full health at some point down the line on that there is no time frame of course there isn't um, I think any hope that he features against Australia in a few months time or even in the IPL sounds probably optimistic but you never know Um at this juncture but it almost feels weird just just thank thank the heavens that he he managed to to get out of that out of that that car that was about to blow any Mm. second after he managed to crawl himself across the road Mm. um there was two indian chaps who were particularly heroic in helping him get to hospital in time um it was a bus driver who was heading out at half four in the morning and saw it happen and and ran to his aid. So, look, it's 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 a truly, truly uh, chilling story, really. Um, uh, and as I say, we just hope that he, he makes a full recovery.
0: Absolutely. Back to the cricket. In the last week, we've got two test series going on. Pakistan, New Zealand and Australia and South Africa. At the time of recording, the second Pakistan, New Zealand test is in its fourth day. It's fairly even at the moment on a slightly quicker pitch than what we've seen previously this Pakistani summer. Uh, Pakistan have Nassim Shah and Hassan Ali back in the side. Nassim Shah in particular has looked really good. Sal Chakil scored a really, really slow 100 that was kind of understandable given the match scenario, but his innings has taken a lot of time out of the game. Ben, in the first test, there was a very strange declaration from Bab Razam that I'm still not quite sure why he did it. So New Zealand scored 600. K. Williams yeah. scored a double ton. Pakistan then looked to have been playing for the draw... Then with 15 overs left in the test match, Babal declares with New Zealand needing 138 to win with a maximum of 15 overs left. You're not going to take 10 wickets in 15 overs. You might score 114 in 15 overs. Why has he done it?
3: Well, it, it, it is weird. I think when you look at why he's done it, I think it's, it's, it's hard to avoid the influence of England and Ben Stokes. don't want to draw everything back to them. But when you see a team beat you 3-0 playing in that manner you're going to they didn't give it, play go, it wasn't no, just that, bold that, decoration it was they, setting he, it up he hasn't copied the homework uh, completely right but i think <laughs> that must be and, and when you see the the noise from you know from Rami's Raj who was in charge at that time saying you know we need to follow this style we need to be more proactive and i mean he's he's sort of got it wrong i would also the, the weird thing is i'd understand it if he'd spoken differently about it after the game because the game actually it was safe at that point like if you look at when the sun was going to go down when bad light was going to come into play there, there was no way they were going to get those 15 overs in so actually um it was a completely safe declaration from all points of view so if, if he just said like look the game was safe we knew we could bring on the, the quicks and, and slow the run scoring down if, if we absolutely needed to um and we'd done enough batting and fancied having a bit of a bowl for a bit and and who knows what will happen that would have made sense it was more that he seemed like he genuinely thought they had a chance of like even a 1% chance of victory when it was, when mm. it was so much more than that. I mean, only once in test history has a team been bowled out in fewer than 15 overs, which is what they had to do. And that uh, was not, I imagine, on a pitch like this with mm. the quality of batting that New Zealand have, having scored big runs in the first innings. So yeah, it was weird. But actually, I think that took a bit of the pressure off how New Zealand approached that game and that day as well. Um, like So Paxton have basically saved the test by that point, as it eventually proved. But there was no sort of like Cardiff 2009 vibes to the end of that thing, even though Pakistan only had two wickets left. It was very, like the whole game basically, and it, it, uh, maybe this just feels more stark given what happened on the previous test series played in Pakistan. But it was played very much as if, you know, if a chance to win presents itself, we might try and take it as New Zealand did. They did that very aggressively in that short period before bad light came. But there wasn't really much of an effort by the other side before that point, to make it happen. New Zealand, even when they got quite far ahead, weren't going particularly quickly at any point. Um, I know it is always hard to work out, especially in those third innings, when there's uh, runs at play and a lead at play, and also you want to target the weaker batter. But you kind of think that when you've got two wickets to get, having a completely spread field for basically four balls of every over can't be the, the quickest way to do that and to, to get into your into your chase and then try and win the game. And that's what was happening. Um, so I, I actually think that New Zealand's approach was obviously it was less focused on right then but it was a a weird game from that point of view as well I guess.
0: Pakistan have a pretty weird test schedule so this is the last test match they play at home in in 2023. It's been a weird summer for Pakistan because I think they have actually found a few players who could be the core of a good team in the not too distant future. But
1: I'm not sure that Baba is the right man to lead them.
0: We were saying in the office the other day that he doesn't really seem to have that natural grasp of how how a cricket match plays out basically.
1: No and there have been many Many cricketers like him who are beyond gifted, uh, but who seem to have their gifts and their genius contained, quite, quite enclosed. And Baba is strikes me as that kind of kind of man. That said, it could well be a case of of losing it in translation. You know, his mm-hmm. English isn't isn't great, and so me being ignorant i don't often get much of a glimpse into into his inner thoughts um or perhaps there aren't too many that he's prepared to to divulge because you know you would you would get things would drip along the line right you would you would get some sense of him but he remains this peculiar enigma in in the world game and nobody really knows too much about him um, so you go on what you see on the pitch. You, you go on these little little details and little clues. And what you saw when he came up against England, albeit came up against this sort of juggernaut, he he was remarkably passive, I thought, and and tactically very timid, and selectorially as well very. Uh, self-defeating really you know some of those bowlers that that, that that okay they were up against it with Shaheen down and with um Haris falling away very quickly as well but some, some strange choices I thought and uh and with Shahid Afrida coming in now as the chairman of selectors which which does raise a smile if nothing else I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they say look you just be our our star and we'll will hoist the captaincy onto the shoulders of somebody like Sean Massoud, right? Who is, you know, a little bit more, uh, of a rounded individual. Um, and he's, while he's maybe not the most naturally talented of players, he's made something of himself. He's made some good test hundreds. He's back in that side at three, Uh, in this current test side and perhaps it might just be best for Baba whose record as a skipper is not great you know they're behind the eight ball in this New Zealand game although they might still pull it out the bag on day five obviously they went down against Australia they got beat three zip at home against England so it may well be at the end of this this test match that they just have a quiet word with one another but 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 you know we we shall see but it's it's odd uh, how how limited they, they, they are in the test game at the moment. Albeit, as you say, there are some players coming through that you think they can hang, hang the future on.
0: Sean Massoud's innings, by the way, my moment of the week. So it actually and quite... A, a, an 11 ball 20. Yeah, a number three. Mm. Um, Actually quite a good illustration of your description of him as a test player. So I think he got the strategy absolutely right. So the best chance of Pakistan winning that game is them to score quickly. Ajaz Patel came on and he was like, right, I'm going to hit him out of the attack. Hits him for three boundaries in an over. And then Patel probably bowls the worst ball of, of, of the over. It's short and wide, outside off stump. Tries to cut it. He does cut it, but it goes straight to point. Uh, right, right shot to play. Terrible execution. And it actually kind of showed he does understand how the game works really well. But he's not quite got the execution of a top, top batter. I yeah. think, um,
3: and I think one of the issues with Babar staying in the role as, as captain, there was actually there was a, a clip that went round of Shadda Freedy. And he, in it, he essentially acknowledged that Babar is, is not yet a great captain. Essentially, right. but that th- there is just a lack of alternatives. Essentially, like Shah Masood is is the one that sort of stands out.
1: But there's no other established player around that kind of age, is there? Yeah,
3: and and I actually think that Shah Masood probably isn't in Pakistan's best side as it stands. Um, and if you look at his record since he's come back into the side, he's yet to make a score above thirty. Um, and then and but then beyond him, who are you looking at? You've got. Shafiq is very young and going through a little poor patch of his own at the moment. Imam Mahak possibly, but there are questions about him anywhere outside. He's basically Raoul never Pindi. done
0: well outside Pakistan.
3: Like Rizwan, you would have said, is an option, but is currently outside of the side. You've got Shaquille, who's very new into the side. You've got Safraz, who's new back into the side and, and obviously not a long-term choice and that would come with its own baggage with him having been in charge before. And then you're kind of into the into the bowlers. So I think that, that's an issue that, that Pakistan have as well. They either need to take a punt on someone or give it to Someone who's maybe what established, but it's is, you, you could see them not being in the side for for the yeah. long haul. Shah- I guess.
0: Shaheen's the other option. I know he's injury has meant he's not played as much test cricket recently as Pakistan would have liked him to have played, but you know, bowlers are doing all right as test captains elsewhere in the world at the moment. And Shaheen is captain in the PSL, he's such a huge figure in Pakistani cricket, you could see that Possibly working,
3: yeah, and I, I I think you saw another example of some of the limitations around Barbar's captaincy in this test actually with Sal Managa, who bowled really well in that first inning. Yeah, I, I slagged him off a couple of weeks ago, and said I'm not really sure what he did,
0: and then in this test match, he bowled really, really well.
3: Well, it's weird because I like I kind of agree with you, except that it lo- didn't look at all like he was sort of overawed or didn't out of place at test cricket, it just didn't really seem what that place was. He was sort mm. of batting at seven, making useful runs, obviously he got 100 in the last game, but wasn't bowling at all. So, this was the first time in at home so since the start of of the England series he bowled more than six overs and innings I think and it was basically like from the sixth over onwards from the seventh over onwards was when he started bowling really well so he clearly benefited large match of being able to settle into it not just being on for one or two overs and then taken off but the only reason that was happening was because I think Pakistan misread the pitch slightly or it was not to the instructions that they would provided. Like it seemed before the test that they were going to provide a, pace, a pitch with lots of mm. pace and grass on it that meant that they would be able to pick three seamers and Ed could sort of fill in the gaps. And yet it was actually still filled with lots of runs, which meant you had to have someone get through a lot of work, which meant he had to go to Salmanaga and he ends up bowling really well. But that has happened kind of by accident rather than by design, I think. And that's the main thing that people have been saying about Baba is that there's often a plan A, but there's no plan B and he just sticks to that. Mm you know, the spinners that he's got and trust in rather than looking around for a creative solution.
0: The other test match going on at the moment is Australia-Slafka, which is two days in and it's going pretty much as I think you probably expected it to. Australia are very much on top. They're 475 for four. Usman Khawaja is currently 195, not out. Steve Smith got 100. Uh, the most interesting thing from that game so far really is that there's been a recall from Matt Renshaw because Cam Green's out. But Renshaw subsequently caught COVID. But nowadays that doesn't, Matter as much as they did last year, so he's actually out there batting at the moment with Kawaja. Ben, we've already talked a lot about this. How this hasn't been a great series, but uh, you surprised me today by saying South Africa still actually have a pretty good chance of qualifying for the World Test Championship final, even if they lose this test.
3: Yeah, so if they lose this test, the following combination of results, which isn't that unlikely. So Australia win in India, maybe that's unlikely, but given how Australia are playing in India, slightly lower. We'll probably come to that later. That's possible. If then if Sri Lanka failed to win in New Zealand and Australia and, and South Africa beat West Indies 2 0, then South Africa could be in the World Test Championship final against Australia. That that all could happen. Um but to be honest, based on how they've gone, I would not be at all surprised if they failed to beat West Indies 2 0. I mean, West Indies acquitted themselves quite well in that Australia tour. And it's not just that West Indies batted better than South Africa have this tour. South Africa's bowling is seems like it's declined quite quickly from that first test when they had a helpful pitch and did really well like there's
0: yeah it's only two test matches though that's yeah, there's a
3: really really good attack that, that that's true they were, and, they were brilliant against england in england and, and, and i in guess home conditions they're always very good and i guess maybe if they if their batters are against line that are struggling more they might sort of find another level because they'll know they'll be in the game but it but it has been stark that this is an attack that should be absolutely brilliant and these are conditions that they should be able to be quite successful in and they've been They've not, they've not managed to do anything like And
1: that. If, if Sri Lanka were to beat New Zealand 2-0 in New Zealand, huge ask, but Bangladesh went there in January last year and won the first Test match. And Sri Lanka have only lost four of their last 14. Stats, stats, won six of those 14 as well. Mm-hmm. Then they're well in the in the mix, right? Yeah, so, so it, that would that be astonishing and marvelous. Yeah. Should they somehow pull Chris Silva Sri Lanka? Sorry, Chris Silva Sri Lanka. Uh, Fra- Frank Lampard and so, Sri Lanka. Also,
0: also, sorry that I went to Ben instead of you. This is obviously your areas now. As much no, it's, as Ben's. All right,
3: it's all right, mate. So I I will doff my cap to to the machine over there. I on South Africa, by the way. I sort of think that maybe I know Dean Algar hates it. But they should maybe be trying to basball it a bit. I mean, they they, they, they can't, can't get any worse. Yeah, <laughs> like right, they they can't bat for any length of time anyway. And they do have like a couple of that sort of like mould of player, like Razzy Van der Dussen, for example. In one day cricket, he's a proactive player. He has a, an absurd average. He's absurdly consistent. And it's not as if he's coming out and swinging from ball one. But he just he's a shadow of that player in Test cricket, and he does seem like one who, if he had maybe a bit more clarity to think okay I can just do that thing that I know I'm good at.
1: I I find it actually unwatchable I find it so painful Uh, and there's such an overwhelming sense of uh, futility to it really knowing that South Africa are not going to be playing another three test series until 2026 at the earliest Mm. knowing that they have effectively Uh, suspended at best their test hopes in order to try and generate some money through their new, latest, newfangled T20 tournament. Looking at that top six, when you consider the great top sixes that they've had in the past, in the not-too-distant past as well, I find it it quite hard to watch. And as well, I mean, from the other side of it, how many times do you see Australia, you know, with the jackboot on the neck, and they've been doing it more often than not for the for most of my life and they always win the toss and they all, they're always 200 for one by the, the middle of the afternoon you know forever in my in my nightmares and it's just been a very painful painful watch really it's it's hard to know I think it was one of the boys from great cricketer tweeted are Australia good or is this the death of test cricket and and <laughs> I find myself sort of swinging, undulating from, from those those two dark
0: thoughts. We also cover the latter quite a lot on the pod. And there's more of that later, don't worry. But I do think we don't give enough credit to actually just how bloody good that Australia top seven is in our right. conditions. Like, yeah, Kawaja averages fair. 48 in test cricket and he's, what, the, the fourth or fifth least interesting of, of the top six. Um, I was pleased but, to see him get a big hundred, actually, yeah.
1: because if he can get through the next 12 months it completes a, a really brilliant career I think and, and the career of many different uh, identities but for him to have come back into this side came back towards the back end of the Ashes almost as a kind of a gimme really a, a free hit and now to have established himself he's got to go to India where he's never scored runs before and then he's got to go to England where he's never scored runs before but if he can pull that off uh, then it puts the puts the ribbon on a on a singular career, really. So I was I was pleased for him. He's an excellent bloke as well.
0: Um, yeah, David Warner's not really scored runs in England or India. He's had a few goes in both places. And I remember Ricky Ponting did an interview with the great cricketer before Kowaja got his, his recall last year. And Ponting said, ever since the day that Kowaja made his test debut in January 2011, Kowaja has been in the top six batters in Australia and should have been the side from that point moment on. I, I do think it's a bit... It's a bit of a shame he's not been persisted with for quite as much of his career. I mean, that's 13 Test 100s now, which draws him level with Damian Martin, for example. He's ahead of Dean Jones, one behind uh, Michael Slater and Ian Chappell. You know, this is a, a brilliant Test career and he's only had 56 Test matches over more than a decade. I think it's a shame that he's only been 56 Test matches. He averages more than Warner they're about the same age, and he's played half as many Test matches. Mm. Um, mm. So um, yeah, I'm. And, and, and we
1: also barely mentioned Labashane because <laughs> what can you say about about a machine? Yeah, you know what, what? can you say about like an internet router or whatever that is, <laughs> is the, the, the sort of the, the centrifugal uh, connection, connecting point of this whole team? He yeah. scores runs literally every single week. This, I think, is his 22nd Test match at home. He only made 79 in this game, but he's made 900s mm. before that at home, just at home in 21 games. <laughs> uh, he's he's the fastest, he's the second fastest after Bradman, obviously. Joint second fastest alongside with Everton Weeks to get to 3,000 runs in Test cricket. Uh, it all began three years ago. Uh, and he will return in a few months' time to England where it all began. Hopefully, Jofra Archer will be waiting at the top
3: of his mark. Mm. Well, nice. yeah, and, and it's just a massive year just for, for so many of those players because Australia haven't played that much away from home recently. So you've got Warner, who was kind of clinging on and now got that double. So I guess he's back in, but that becomes massive for him, the uh, uh, the Indy Series and in the Ashes. You've got Kawadri, you say, chance to cement his legacy, but in two places we hasn't succeeded before. Labashane, even though he had that brilliant series against England, he didn't actually make 100 in it so his away record still pales in comparison to his home record uh steve smith obviously went through his ebb maybe coming out of it uh and i think he'll be all right yeah no no but but still he's got again i mean there's, there's sort of no he's, he's not been quite that steve smith level that we saw dominate the 2016-17 border gavis control but he hit a cover drive and said i'm back yeah yeah uh, and then head has also got an, a, a very lopsided record so you've got a lot of players actually who have sort of something to answer and it could be that australia come out of the next eight months as like actually a side obviously not to rank with the, the great West Indies side or the great uh, Australia side but maybe in that second rank as being absolutely dominant at home and having gone to two of the toughest places to win away and done it or you come out with players who have the same questions over them so it'll be really, really interesting the other thing with Laberjain is he's always fun even though it's kind of boring mm, did, did, did I you, agree that, that, I find him compelling to watch there was a cute little moment in, in the test this uh, this week where um, he wanted to fix his helmet and for some reason, he wanted a lighter to do it, so he uh, he okay. makes it, he makes a sort of smoking sign to the uh, to the pavilion uh, <laughs> between overs, uh, and wasn't brought out a, a, a dart, uh, but was brought out a lighter and was able to fix his helmet, which was cute. There and you he's go. A, he's a nice little man. A nice little man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cement your legacy, gardener.
0: Um, moving on, the wisdom shop is delighted to announce that the limited edition Cricket Grounds of the UK illustration is now back in stock after it sold out in 24 hours last month. Every single Test and County Championship ground has been included in the largest and most detailed piece of penmanship by artist Ben Staves. In amongst the cricket venues, look out for the towns and cities of the UK, each with their own iconic architectural landmarks wisdom.com forward slash shop for that and also a plug for the wisdom cricket photograph of the year competition we'll leave a link for that in the description as well entries close at midnight on friday anyone can enter the winner gets a thousand pounds a free wisdom almanac and a year's subscription to both wisdom cricket monthly and the night watchman so get involved there if you're taking some cool snaps in 2022 England Lions have named a couple of squads this week, a Test 1 and an ODI 1 for their tour of Sri Lanka in January and early February. Big news is Saki Mahmood is back. Uh, He's only played one game of cricket since his Test tour of West Indies in 2022. Um, he's in the ODI group there are a few new names in the test group Tom Hartley from Lancashire's there having not played an awful lot of first class cricket he's a left arm spinner Nathan Gilchrist from Kent who had a good summer there Josh Tung from Worcestershire in the ODI group there is James Rue, Jacob Bethel and Tom Press all of whom were in the England under 19 squad last year Ben you made the point before we started recording that there are so many English players playing franchise competitions this month that you don't have those guys, so it's gotten the rung below that who are in the ODI group.
3: Yeah, but they've decided therefore to not uh, to, to to go younger, which is quite exciting. Like a J- Jacob Bethel, who's in that squad, is really interesting, and it'll be fascinating to see how he goes because what this time last year he was being really, really talked about. He played that um, that innings in the World Cup quarterfinals in, in a small chase, but he still he came out and was you know absolutely explosive, and he's been raved about for quite a long time coming through the Warwick system, what Barbados born and they kind of brought him over here uh, and and they they I think what the most hand-to- player they seen come through since Ian Bell was the the general um assessment. And then he's had an absolute stinker this year. And you wonder if he's looking if if he's looking at where he was back then and what's happened to some of the other players who are in that competition. Like someone like Javold Brevis who's gone on to you know play in the IPL uh made that massive hundred in T twenty cricket in South Africa um that that they were not far off in terms of hype at that point in time and it's good that you know he's in the squad and he has a chance to to show why he is deserved to be Mm. in that rank i suppose um and then yeah with, with the Lions squad it's it's kind of it's just it's quite traditional isn't it in a way that is now untraditional for england um i guess a lot of the players that they might be looking at as future brendan mccullum style test cricketers might be playing t20 cricket at the moment. But still, the fact that there is Josh Bohannon, Alex Lees, uh, Hasiba Mead in there, uh, I guess it's good that those guys aren't being forgotten about altogether. And I suppose it'll be interesting to see what happens when England have the choice or have to choose between someone who has a very good first class record who doesn't fit that profile and someone who is a bit more of a punt but does fit that profile. I mean, at the moment, they basically had the luxury of not having to do that because Brook is smack banger and Duckett as well are both right in that. Sweet spot of being of having both, but there will come a point when they have to choose, and I suppose this suggests that you know county runs even made at whatever pace still carry some value.
0: Phil, what were your instant reactions when when the email dropped with those two squad announcements?
1: <laughs> nice question. The, the first thing that jumped out at me was Hassi For me, um, not for any great ambitions that he returns to the top of England's order, although I don't think it's completely impossible. Uh, but i I'm just pleased. I'm just pleased for him that, that he's. That he's still thought of highly. Really, no. uh, he was so close to falling off the cliff. Uh, the other thing I thought uh, was the sheer weight of of names that English cricket can call upon. There's so many out there, oh. <laughs> and and if we if we if we do have to fill, you know, a dozen bloody T20 leagues every other month, then yeah, a lot are going to be coming from England over the next few years, uh, and. If nothing else, we are a good generator of employment in in our game. But look, now, there's some. In all seriousness, there's some some proper talent in that list, and they, you'd want to watch all of them. There's 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 intrigue attached to pretty much all of those names. There's one or two names that I'm mildly surprised are in there, and I'm not going to tell you who because that would mm. be a bit harsh. But there's a lot of names in there that. Uh, that do intrigue me you know Jack Haynes at Worcester is a brilliant young player to watch and he made a lot of runs last year in a struggling side he made 300s in a row Uh, he's very good to watch Tom Haynes is in there as well if you're talking the test squad now you know he is a sort of duck it light small compact lefty gives it gives it a whack scores it a good lick bit up and down but when he's in he goes big they like him as well. I'm glad to see him in the side. He'll probably open with Hamid, you'd imagine. Although Alex Lees is also in there, um, Jamie Smith as well at Surrey, uh, who I picked last year at the start of the season as a breakout player. He went a bit off and on. Scored a double, a double hundred. Made a double yeah. hundred against Gloucester, but not much else. Uh, but he's a very fine young player. Uh, so yeah, look, there's stories attached to all of those cricketers, really. Yeah.
0: Kind of on your point, 50 players played for England in 2022 across right. formats. And I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't a single new face in 2023 because you've got an Ashes series in a World Cup on the horizon. There's not going to be much trying out new guys before then. So many people played in 2022. We kind of know who's about. You might see someone like Rahan Ahmed playing in a format he's not played yet. But I'm not sure we'll see complete newbies. I don't think this is going to happen in 2023. But I keep going back to that depth chart that Mo Bobat put on Sky when he was being interviewed in the South Africa series. The one gap really of people who they've got in the pipeline for a possible test spot i guess two or three years down the line is the wicketkeeper spot so obviously you've got loads of guys who are good at the same age of folks butler bestow kind of group billings as well but they're all about 30 to 33 now I, I, i'm really interested to see who the next next young wicketkeeper back so is. ollie
1: robinson is in that test squad yeah not that ollie robinson the other then, ollie Robinson, yeah. the one who's gone up to durham from Yeah, the the other thing, of course, is the spinners. So you've got here Jack Carson at Sussex, right arm spinner, big lad, um, gives it a rip, uh, raw, but interesting. Hartley, left arm spinner. uh, Liam Patterson-White, left arm spinner. There is no space in this setup for Matt Parkinson. Now, I wonder if it's one of these Lions squads where they sort of know what they've got with him. Mm. They know the good bits. They know the less good bits. Sending him on another trip another winter sojourn to to the middle of nowhere for another run at it is probably not really going to benefit anybody so so I I guess this is probably the next rung down Mm. Uh,
0: they've said that before as well that if they they know a lot about players they don't necessarily see the point in doing it and I think just on the keepers actually in the white ball squad Jordan Cox who who does keep wicket but not all the time for Kent part of the reason Holly Robinson left Kent and then also James Rue who is only I think he's still only 18. But I wouldn't be so surprised if those two guys become... For uh, this is quite a long way off, but Cox had a very good county championship season last year. I wouldn't be surprised if he's someone who might get named in a squad next winter, for example.
3: And Rue is a long way off, but am I right in thinking he played in that um, in a county select game against the Indian yeah, touring team? he did. So they clearly rate his glove work at least for him to get into that. So, mm,
0: yeah. yeah. England Women's T20 World Cup squad is announced, we think, tomorrow. So yeah. we'll talk about that in depth. On next week's show. onto the BBL. Uh, It's not often that the BBL is a centre of attention these days, but it managed it twice in a couple of days this week. Um, There were two quite controversial incidents. Ben, do you want to briefly explain what they were? So one was a boundary catch and one was a man catch.
1: The the, the six most depressing words to hear in the new year is controversy. Mild controversy in the Big Bash League. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go, Ben. Seven words that... uh... Mild controversy in the big bash. Take off the league. Okay. <laughs> classic, uh, classic stuff.
3: The, yeah, the, the the Nisa catch wasn't really controversial in terms of the laws. The laws are up, very the, clear. The, the laws are clear and they were followed to the letter. Uh, he took a catch inside the rope, threw it up, stepped out to the field of play, did a little hop, palmed it back into play, stepped back in and took the catch. Uh, some people have an issue with it basically because they don't, well... They have two sort of objections. One is that they don't like that that thing is allowed. And the other is that they concoct really weird scenarios of what this means you can do. Like, oh, you could just keep on jumping and palming it up in the air infinitely or whatever. And it's like, you could do that. But like... Why would anyone ever want to? You know, and uh, also like b- people
0: saying that you could start in the crowd, but you can't because you need your, your first foot needs to be yeah f- in the field of play. First
3: of all, you can't. Second of all, you also wouldn't want to, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like imagine having to traverse a, a big buck, a, a big bash crowd while you're trying to like take a take a catch. You know, well, there's no one there. Yeah. Well, uh, some of the crowds been all right, but oh, I'm you, joking, you, 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 you end up with your with your foot in a bucket of chicken, and you and you. you stepping over a mullet and that sort of thing uh it'd be a nightmare so, as so you so, say yeah. that
0: wasn't the controversial one no
3: uh the the adam zamper one was a bit more controversial adam zamper attempted to run out tom rogers at the non-striker's end before bowling the ball and it was ruled not out because Zampa had gone through his sort of delivery arc with his arm without releasing the ball before turning back to knock off the stumps um there are a few bits of, of controversy obviously there was the, the standard stuff around these types of dismissals where people debate should this be allowed should it not should there be a warning all that sort of thing which is kind of well boring to me at least uh what's more interesting is the interpretation of the law um around firstly what is meant by the expected point of release which the mcc have now clarified they mean the highest point in a bowler's action before delivery they can't say vertical because that might you know Rule out Lassie Malinga for example, and that sort of thing.
0: But then you spoke to Fraser Stewart, who's the head of laws at the MCC or head of cricket, but he's also the laws guru, as he describes in his own Twitter account. I think, Ben, you put across your opinions very well. I thought after um, your, your chat with Phil about Crawley last week, this had the potential to get a bit messy. Anyway, here is that conversation.
3: Before we get into the decisions over the past week, I wanted to try and work out what the process for adding or changing a law in the law of cricket is so i was wondering is it, is it, is it just you sort of who oversees the whole thing or is there a kind of a group of you i wondered if the world cricket committee were involved much and just what the sort of the consultation process is from realizing like this is something that needs to change to the the final wording that goes in the law book
4: yeah well uh, thankfully uh, for everyone it's not just down to me um so uh, yeah we, we've got actually quite a robust process um obviously we we're constantly um, watching the game and, and seeing seeing how the game evolves um and at mcc we have a um quite a, a wide committee structure um and sort of i guess going from the bottom up we have the the laws subcommittee um which sits twice a year um and has uh, representatives from the international game um and sort of from the recreational games so you have to remember that although most of the cricket that's seen by people is at the professional sharp end, the majority of crickets that's played, the vast majority of cricket that's played, is in a park on on an afternoon with with just um, 22 players and and two umpires and and no TV cameras. So um, we do have to make sure that the laws are are for the whole game and not just um, suitable for the top level. So, yeah, we have um, the law subcommittee, which contains about 10 people, um, sort of more well-known names would include Simon Torfell, um, Sundaran Ravi, um, Claire Pelosak from Australia has just joined. Um, so we've got a, a wide, uh, a sort of wide range of people spread around the world, um, and they meet four times a year, and we sort of review what's been going on in the game and look at all the laws and see whether they're fit for purpose and whether any, you know, need to sort of go on the on the on the to-do list for things to change. Um, then above the sitting above the, the Laws law subcommittee, we have um, the MCC Cricket Committee, um, which is um, a mainly sort of UK-based um, body, sort of that discusses all things related to, to MCC cricket. Um, but then we also have the the World Cricket Committee, which is perhaps the best known of of all the MCC's committees, and that that contains the sort of the the great and good, if you like, of the of the of the world game. So current members include. So um, uh, Kumar Sangakara, um, Justin Langer and Graham Smith have, have both just come on. Um, we've got uh, Alistair Cook, Mike Gatting chairs it, um, Susie Bates is on it, uh, Claire Connors just come on it. So it's a, um, a real stellar collection of, of people from all around the world. And they meet normally twice a year um, and discuss all sorts of things relating to the game of cricket but a lot of them are um are laws related they 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 enjoy the laws chats actually um around and, and getting into the the detail and so quite often the the policy will more be set by the world cricket committee um, and the cricket committee and then that feeds back down to the Laws subcommittee um where we have a sort of a, a drafting group within that um within that subcommittee who will then try and get the desired policy sort of onto paper in as, in as clear and as coherent as way possible. So um, yeah, there's a lot of input goes into it. We make sure that it's, we get international input. Um, and then when we have a sort of a big change like we had in 2017, where we had a new code of laws, we will quite often go out to governing bodies with sort of questionnaires um, and kind of take the, take the temperature of what people are uh, think about the game and any changes they think should be made and then all the feedback we get from that, because that will normally cascade from um, an umpire's manager in a country that will go down to, to players and umpires at recreational and professional level. Um, so we'll get um, a view of, of what people think about the game, what, what laws that they may be happy with, which ones they're less happy with. And then that will then you know, feed into our decisions as to whether a change is necessary.
3: Within that process, what, so once you've got a wording of a law that you think you're happy with... Is there like a stress testing thing, like because uh, one thing that cricket doesn't do that other sports do do, as far as I'm aware, is having sort of like trial periods for laws. Too much is it? Is it so? Is it mostly that you just kind of work it out? between you that you think that you try and go through every eventuality or is there some things are
4: trialed um by um playing regulations and um, we do have a close relationship with um with the ecb and um, partly sort of geographically um and some things that we put in the laws are sort of trialed um, as ecb playing regulations before then um when we when we used to run university cricket um in in the uk we, we quite often used um the cricket in their competitions just as a bit of a um, a, a petri dish if you like to try to try out new things to, to see whether they worked or not um we also we consult with ICC very closely as well um uh our sort of um the Jamie Cox and before him John Stevenson has, has sat on the ICC cricket committee um and so we work very closely with ICC as well to to sense check things with them and you know often things will get um uh, you know, will will be trialed um, either either internationally or or, or otherwise, and you know, in more local leagues to see to see whether they work.
3: Yeah. Okay. And I was wondering about the relationship with the ICC because I wonder if if more, I mean, well, you see it a lot when cricketers will say like the ICC need to do something about it, and they actually mean the MCC need to change this or that. Um, do you think that is that independence is that, that that's a good thing? Do you think that you have you're so focused on this one thing rather than having you know a million things on. On your plate and also you're just kind of I, I don't know there's less political influence on the MCC I suppose is, is that how
4: you see it? Yeah I think um, we, we have a fine balance we, we are independent and neutral which I think is a great asset for, for a body that holds the laws um, but we also you know through particularly the creation of the World Cricket Committee and in more recent years a more sort of international flavour to our laws subcommittee we want to make sure that we are truly global yes we're, we're based at, at lords and in, in, in london um, but we are a global club we have members all all around the world we play cricket all around the world um, and we want to make sure that the input we're getting is not just a very anglo-centric way uh one but one that reflects the the way that cricket is played in in different countries and and that's indeed the case The the, the you know the Cricket on a village green here, you know, might be played very differently from from how it's played in, in perhaps Australia or or in India or Pakistan or wherever. And we need to make need to take all that into consideration and make sure that um, you know we take a, a global view on things and not just a, a sort of perhaps an English one. Mm. Uh,
3: and, and if you don't mind me saying, you, you yourself are a very powerful position within the game. I know you, there are lots of checks and balances, but in terms of what cricket actually looks like, that's determined by the laws essentially when you step down whenever whenever that is what what's the process for appointing the next mcc head of cricket how can we be sure they'll be sort of sort of as good as it as you are
4: oh the the recruitment procedure at mcc is very robust and and whenever a, a position becomes available it's uh um it's sort of you know advertised and, and there's a there's a proper process that, that goes through my, my position has kind of evolved over over the years that i've been at mcc i i um Started off um, running the cricket office, all all MCCs, um, you know the cricket that MCCs played. But I was, um, I you know, did a law degree and and got a background in law. So I then sort of moved into into a laws position and I've gradually sort of moved up and 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 the laws have come with me. So and you know, I played, I played a lot of amateur cricket, uh, and so you know, I sort of knew, know the game from from that level, and then. You know, more latterly, have become involved in in cricket at a at a higher level as well as an administrator. So, yeah, I think I'm quite well well covered to 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 do the role. But uh, yeah, as as when I move on, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be there'll be someone equally or better um, skilled to be able to carry on the role.
3: Okay, well, well, let's get down into into the nitty gritty uh, of of the two decisions this week. Um, let's start with the the Nisa catch, and I wanted to talk about, to wanted to ask what what kind of influences how the laws are worded if that makes sense. Uh, and in that instance the laws are completely clear. There's no sort of fault with them. It says that your final contact with the ground before your first contact with the ball has to be within the field of play and then from then on as long as you're not in, t- in contact with the ball and the ground at the same time, you're fine. So people's objections which there have been some are essentially sort of aesthetic, right? It's about how they want the catch to look. Uh in in those cases how much do you listen to public opinion and how much is it this is how we think it should be? How much is it this is what the committees above us have said it should look like, and that sort of thing.
4: Yeah, it's, uh, all, all good points, and I, I think that the point to raise is um, yes, there's been some con- concerns raised about about the legality of the catch and not the umpire's interpretation of anything. Everyone's clear that the umpire got it right as per the laws. It's just some people questioning whether the law itself is right, and, and that's fair for them to do. Um, we think it is. Um, you know, this is a law that we've worked on quite a lot since 2010, um, you know, since then, since particularly the sort of the, the rise of, of T20, we've seen a rise in athleticism um, on, of fielding on the boundary. And we've tried to sort of evolve the laws to, to cater for that rather than to outlaw it. We think that these bits of fielding are, um, are good for the game. They're really exciting. You see some, you know, some tremendous um, bits of, of athleticism from, from the players in both the male and female games and um and it's something that we felt you know is is good for the game um there's a lot of talk more generally about the balance of the game and perhaps favoring the the batters a bit, a bit too much um you know the bats are getting more powerful the the the, the attacking more attacking play the boundaries are getting brought in and, and shorter so um we feel that the the wording of the current law whilst it may perhaps great with some is is a is a fair is a fair law because you you know you can't be grounded, um, you know, outside and in contact with the ball at the same time. So any, um, and the the key thing is the first contact must be um, from within the boundary or or if you're airborne that you took off from within the boundary. So we don't want people, you know, sitting, you know, standing 10 yards behind the boundary and then having their first, their first impact there and, and sort of bunny hopping it back in. So the game starts off within the boundary. We've seen all sorts of different um, catches like this. There was one, that Matt Renshaw did a couple of years ago in in the Big Bash. Well, Matt Renshaw started it and and, um, a teammate finished it because he he took it inside, threw it up, um, went over um, and then sort of jumped up like Nisa did and parried it back. But instead of parrying it to himself, he parried it to to a teammate who completed the catch. And and there was less fuss about that um, than there was about Nisa's one. But actually, from a law's perspective, they've done pretty much the same thing. Um, in in they they were out they were inside and then they were outside and they jumped up and 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 patted it back so um i think we are we are happy with the with the law as it currently stands we you know we have these committees as i mentioned uh, earlier um that will review this and, and check that we think it's right but um you know it, it was very exciting for the game it was a, it was a brilliant bit of um of quick thinking and, and rare skill, you know, th- this doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, this law has been like this since 2013 and, and you can count on, on less than, on, on less than five fingers, probably the number of times that it's, that it's really happened in, in exactly this way. And, you know, it's, it's good. It's good for the game. And, uh, you know, and, and the fielder is rewarded for some, for some, you know, a great bit of fielding.
3: Yeah. And, and for knowing the laws as well, Nisa, he said after the game that he'd remembered the renshaw catch. And so for that reason was why he attempted what he did. And it's good to see players being aware of the laws. I guess an example of a player maybe not being so aware is the attempted Adam Zampa run out from the other day. Uh, And there are a few things to talk about here. Again, if you haven't seen it, Adam Zampa went to run out Melbourne Renegades' Tom Rogers at the non-striker's end before he bowled the ball. But although Rogers was out of his ground, uh, he was given not out because... Zampa's arm had passed the expected point of delivery before the wicket was put down so first let's talk about that that clause expected point of delivery there was a, a statement on the MCC website yesterday that said this has long been defined by the MCC as the highest point in the bowler's bowl action so I guess I guess my question is why do the laws not say
4: that the, the laws have, have said as, as as been drafted as they are pretty much um since um since 2017 we have actually moved the law um, to to the run out law from the unfair play law um, just recently last October, um, but yeah, the expected we say the expected point of release rather than the um, the, the highest point that that's the way it was drafted at the time. I think you know if if we in a future iteration of the law we might look to clarify that a bit a, a bit closer. But I think most people are aware when the expected moment of release is it's it's when the arm sort of gets up up there and and when the ball is going to come out we we don't use the word vertical because um you know not all bowling actions come with a, a vertical arm but but at, at the highest point we kind of if you see a bowling action you you know when you think the ball is is pretty much going to be released and it's, it's roughly when the ball when the ball is up at the top um so we say we use that point because what we we want non-strikers to try and stay on their ground um for as, as long as possible but we don't want the the one a bit like a bit like zampa did and, and you know he didn't seem to be aware of the law which is you know which is fine no no fingers pointed at him but what we don't want is the the bowler going sort of through with the bowling action and you know once you see the arm sort of up at the top and then coming back down the non-striker has a reasonable belief that the ball you know will have been delivered by then and will probably sort of you know Move out of his ground, and we don't want the bowler then coming back round and, and doing the sort of the run out on on the way back. So um, that's not something we want. Um, but this law is, you know, it's always controversial. Um, you know when it happens, but um, MCC has been quite firm and hasn't moved its stance for for a while on this. You know, the the bowler is often castigated as the as the villain of the piece, um, but it's the it's the non-striker who started all this emotion by. By potentially leaving leaving their ground early, and an MCC's message to to non-strikers has been and will continue to be, you know this can all be avoided very simply if you just stay in your ground a little bit longer, um, watch the the bowler's release point, make make backing up a bit more of an active um, an active thing rather than a sort of passive, just meandering out when the bowler's roughly there. Just actually focus, watch the bowler's um, delivery action when the ball's um, released or the arm is at the top. That's when you're safe to leave the ground and you can head out. And I think if non-strikers did that, there would be, you know, be far fewer incidents of these. And and uh, yeah, it would all go a bit quieter.
3: Yeah. And can I just ask a very specific thing about the Zamper run out, which relates to the, all of this? So, uh, as I read that first sentence, I'll just read it out of, of that of that law. So it says, if the non-striker is out of his or her ground at any time from the moment the ball comes into play until the instant when the bowler would normally have been expected to release the ball, the non-striker is liable to run out. So that that suggests to me that the key thing is is when the non-striker leaves their ground, not when the run-out has to happen, if that makes sense. So if we're just to switch to some of the words around. For me, if, if a parent said to their child, if you come downstairs from now until I finish making dinner, you are liable to be punished. I don't think it's implied in there that the punishment will come before they finish making dinner if that makes sense i don't know if that's quite a convoluted example if that's going anything up at all but do, do, do you see what i'm saying i know uh, um... i do
4: and we've actually been looking at, at that this week and, and, I, and i can see um how how people can can be confused by that there is that the next the first three words of the next sentence are in these circumstances which uh, and then goes on to explain to explain it which which tries to to sort kind of qualify it, it a bit but the MCC's intention has always been been clear that that it's not about um, that. Effectively, the run out has to happen before the arm gets up there. Rather than if the non-striker leaves before the, the arm gets up there, that the, the run out can then take place even if it even if it's later. So um, yeah, we are it's been been um, looking at that you know this week in, in light of this because I think um, some people are just not reading the law wrongly but just perhaps just as you mentioned there just getting not quite getting the emphasis as as we would like it so there's perhaps a bit of tidying up um there just to make it clear in our eyes that wouldn't be changing the law in any way it would really perhaps just um getting the wording a bit better so that uh so that it's a bit clearer for everyone but the the key thing is um until the arm um you know the, the bowler has to try to affect the run out before the arm gets to the vertical once Once the arms got to the vertical, it's too late for there to be a run out.
3: Thanks, Fraser. Thanks a lot for coming on. Not at
4: all. It's very nice to see you.
0: Jonathan asked, disappointed in your chat last week. You didn't mention 2010 as a contender for the best ever year of English men's cricket. Uh, England drew away to a strong South Africa. There's a T20 World Cup win. There's a dominant home summer and they were 2-1 up against Australia in the away ashes by the end of the year. I guess fair enough, but it wasn't a vintage home summer. The opposition wasn't great. So yeah, that's that's probably why we didn't didn't include it. <laughs> All I remember um, at the home
3: summer is Cook getting a, a rubbish 100, but then scoring loads of runs after it,
0: right? <laughs> well, he scored the 100 at the Oval when his position was supposedly under threat yeah. and he got to 100 because Asif just tried to throw the ball to the keeper but threw it over the keeper's head.
3: And and
1: an 05 as well. I can't. I don't remember this conversation at all. It was in the midst of the the so-called festive period. Yeah, I, I dialed that the one so in. So-called festive fest- period. Well, you know, I mean, it's not <laughs> always festive, is the it? The
0: so-called Big Six. <laughs> it's,
1: it, it doesn't always feel especially festive. That's all. Um, mm. The the period. It was. It was during the period. I don't remember the conversation at all, but I think 05 definitely deserves more yeah. of a shout than it maybe got at the time. Yeah. The fact that they did go to South Africa, that incredible series against. The Callis stained Smith side and to win that series was astonishing. And then obviously, we all know what happened that summer. I can't remember if Pakistan was that, that, that was year. My, question what if it was that year, it was, it was there's, there's the fly in the ointment then. Yeah.
0: Is there anything from that podcast you do remember? I remember having a lovely scared? time. Okay, that's good. It's more you can say for uh, this one. <laughs> <laughs> Mike asks, should we care about the SA20 League? What's the significance of all the teams being owned? Of course you by should, IPL Mike. Tra- tra- <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, if you look at the list of players, it's quite hard not to get excited about it. Phil's, Phil's going to have a go, but it's a great list of players. It's going to be quite easy to watch, relatively speaking, in the UK. It's on Sky, obviously. Not that many people have Sky, but that's a better starting point than most cricket at the moment. Um, So I'm going to watch
1: it. You're right. Well, okay. Sod it. So am I. Uh, Reason, uh, I'm terrified about losing the game. Um, Terrified about the game shifting its complexion so much that I don't really recognise it anymore. And so uh, in the spirit of wanting to keep it close to my heart and my mind, I am going to have to give this stuff more of a go. I I did it with the IPL. I got over the line with that a few years ago. I'm now well into that. Uh, I find it a bit harder with the other leagues, in part because I don't necessarily know how to access them, right? And there's issues around television coverage as well, and and it being spread ever more across different channels and so on. But but look, uh, I don't want this game to 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 drift through my fingers. And so if this is if this is what it's going to look like increasingly. I don't want South African cricket to go to the wall, and I don't want it to go to, go to the wall with me being apathetic to it, right? So if this is a necessary uh, result of financial tribulations, if you like, uh, and if perhaps this thing can be set up and then it can bring about a better day two or three years down the line... Then I'm certainly not going to turn my nose up at it, or I'm going to rather I'm going to try not to turn my nose up at it. You didn't see that answer coming, did you? But there you
0: go. Uh, no no no! Uh, I, I kinda, does it make sense to you? It though? does. Make, it does. I mean, we'll get into. In sure,
1: if you can't beat it, join it.
0: Well, yeah, and, and also like I think in isolation, these these leagues are really good. It's more I think the people's distrust of them is more kind of the overarching domination of them, but the actual competition is is quite often very good some of them are rubbish you know I'm going to treat, treat it like, like T10. I'm
1: going to treat it like Serie A or La Liga you know I'll, I'll dip
3: in here and there I'll, I'll, I'll catch a bit on, on the what's, social medias what's El Clasico? I think it's Paul Royals versus uh, MI Cape Town they're the two favourites with the bookies I'm pretty sure um <laughs> Yeah, I guess the uh, So MI Cape Town will have the likes of Rashid Khan, K Rabada,
0: Brevis, Sam Curran, Livingston, Rassi Van der Dusen, Ryan Rickleton, George Linda, Buran Hendricks, um. But Archer, your
1: mate. Did you not you go out on the on the drink with him? Once. Um
0: Joffre Archer is there, one. is he or not? Uh Joffre Archer, Ollie Stone, Odine Smith. And your mate, Grant Rolofsson. So I guess we've got to be... Is he in it yeah, as well? Yeah, he's, he's in, in Oh, team. he's going to be the star so of the show. We, to, be to be fair, be... That, is
1: a, that is a team. If, you, if you're halfway interested in short-form cricket, That's you'd want team. to watch that side. And
0: then, par royals, they got David Miller, Josh Butler, Obed McCoy, Lungi to Tabrai Shamsi, Jason Roy, Dane Villas, uh, Owen Morgan still around, uh, Andy Um Like Honestly, that is one of the best lists of players that any T20 competition has. I think if you're a non-English fan... I think you'd say this is quite a lot more exciting than the hundred as a list of players. Mm. If, if um, this podcast indisputably, w- yeah, yeah,
3: this podcast maybe should just be listing players and going like, "Oh wow, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah." I guess it has basically been that, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> oh, Tom guys will cool. like, just sit around <laughs> listing listing names, and it's yeah, uh, and it's yeah, fun. The, yeah. I guess the thing with with the SA Twenty thing, and it's kind of echoing what Phil says, but I, it's tricky because from a, from a macro economic point of view, these leagues are kind of. Fascinating to see how they pan out. What it means, the direction of travel. Does this succeeding mean more power for the IPL or or, mm. or what? But then also, actually, if you want South African cricket to be a going concern and to have a competitive South African side, does that mean that you have to want this type of competition to succeed? It probably does, if only for the for the financial side of things, and also because there is the potential that this is the proving ground for the next generation of South African white ball stars who you know are competitive at World Cups, obviously, mm. and uh, and end up feeding into other leagues that we do get excited about, whether that means that I will be investing in who Paul Royals pick at number six for their for their opener or whatever, I find it hard to say. But I think you will. Do you think I reckon. No. I week, don't find it hard to say? I, I think
0: I think by week three you will. Um, um
1: as an aside, yes. Yes. Uh seeing as it's the new year. Mm. By the way, this is the twentieth year uh twentieth calendar year that I've been doing this job. Wow. Let that one sink in. Anyway phrases to ban and i'd like the listeners to write in send us messages whatever phrases that they'd like us to ban Mm -hmm. and there should be some sort of penalty for using them now garda didn't know that i'm banning direction of travel for the Mm. year he didn't know that so i can't penalize you because he didn't know but i'm banning that one okay i'm putting a big, big black line through that one and i want i want our our punters to email in write in this, tweet us in this could get messy yeah for sure <laughs> but i think it's better this way it's my eighth year phil
3: how does that make you feel no it's not it you've, been,
1: you've been doing this about three years
3: 2016 was my my first what? my first foray
1: really mm, wow. turning up in your clown kit and all the rest <laughs> of it you've really grown into it ben <laughs> thanks from shaky
3: beginnings
0: <laughs> moving on um <laughs> Bit of news this week from Zimbabwe. Gary Balance, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he has been named in Zimbabwe's T20I squad for their upcoming series against Ireland. He never played for England in T20I cricket, but played a handful of ODIs in 2013, 2014 and 2015. Um, We're not going to do this discussion again because we kind of did it two or three weeks ago when the announcement was made that he would be returning to Zimbabwe. So if you want to hear our thoughts on that, scroll back a couple of episodes. Ben, your moment
3: of the week. Uh... Yes. Well, I sort of had two. But it's the funny one. Okay. All right. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I presume you discussed on last week's show the um, the machinations at the top of the Pakistan cricket board with uh, Ramis Raja axed as PCB chair and Najam Sethi coming in as PCB chair uh, between two test series. There's a six-day gap, but they got a lot We done. didn't
0: talk about that, but... Thank you okay. for the update. Pr- well,
3: presumably he's doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence <laughs> there, yeah. Well, Well, so, so it's a six-day gap between Tesseries, but they got a lot done. And uh, since then, it's just been very, very fun to watch the, the, the bitching and the bickering on, on social media, basically. I mean, Rami's Raja was, all, was still doing his YouTube videos while he was in charge of the PCB and is now doing that essentially full-time. So you'll all see all these quotes circulating with him saying one thing, and then you'll see sort of a rebuttal coming from another source. Um, and lots of the tweets have just been quite funny. So Najam Seti tweeted out this really, really long list of stuff. So it was a graphic with the three names of him, uh, the PCB chair that followed him and Rami's Raja, and listing basically everything that he felt he'd done really well in his first in charge, and everything that he felt the other two had done really badly in their times in charge. So in the in the Rami's Raja column, it had uh, infighting at its peak was one of the things, which is quite an <laughs> ironic thing to tweet when you've taken time to put together a graphic slagging off. Everyone else... quite a good graphic as well. Yeah, it (laughs) was. Weirdly, he didn't list uh, exceptional graphic design skills in his own column. (laughs) Uh, And then Rami's Raja is sort of... uh, He's trying to rebut lots of things. There's a lot of of it is quite dense, swirling around like the Pakistan Junior League and whether that was a good idea and whatever. Uh, But he was trying to tweet out lots of screenshots from a document and got it wrong. And so then also tweeted like, sorry, I'll tweet them all again in order. And that's the only one that's got loads of likes, but no one cares about the other stuff. Uh, There was a tweet of a photo of low, like loads of clutter on a desk kind of what our office looks like at any given day um, uh, with um, uh, you know uh, stuff like a plastic basketball on the table and a, and a, a sort of a shortbread tin with uh, that's in the shape of a double-decker bus saying that Rami's Raja has left all the stuff at the PCB offices and isn't coming back to collect it to, uh, to prolong the dispute uh, and m- maybe they should settle it by having getting the plastic basketball setting up two miniature basketball hoops yeah. and sort of a, some kind of grudge match <laughs> Uh, that's the only solution I can see it'd be
0: a great TV chat between the two of them just yeah. just, just, just yeah
1: um, we have an interview actually with Najam Seti in the upcoming issue oh, wow. of the magazine uh, and he is quite a character uh, judging by this particular interview that he's given to one of our and you write a lad called William Dobson who's done a really good job on it actually um, he he still has not William um, he still has 24 hour police protection really? due to uh uh, his years as a journalist and um, things that he'd said and written about the Taliban. Uh, and so this this job at the PCB is probably going to be a, a cakewalk considering what he's put up with for, for much of his life um, mm. turned down a PhD from Cambridge uh, to devote himself to Pakistani public life, um, uh, thorn in the side of Imran during Imran's premiership. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's not going to be dull this tenure. Let's put it that way.
0: Definitely. We're going to finish the show by uh, looking forward to 2023, asking for our hopes and dreams for the new year. Keep them cricket specific, please. And yeah, keep keep them brief because we've we've gone on for quite a while. We've still got to hear from Butch as well. Big edit needed on this one. I know. Uh, Phil, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, all right. Very quickly then. um, From the top, just jotted these things down. Anyone but Australia to win the Women's World T20? Mm. happening in South Africa. I hope it's well attended and well followed uh, happening in the middle of February. As you say, the England squad gets announced Friday morning. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, some interesting bits in it, though, from what I've heard. Anyway, anyone but Australia to win it, nothing against them. They're an amazing side, but that, that world game needs a change. It needs some other side to put their hand up. And Obviously, in 20-over cricket, there's more chance of a so-called upset than anywhere else. Essex to win the CC, of course, with Dan Lawrence to make 1,200 runs. Um, Me to still remember how to bat uh, on a Saturday afternoon. I'd like that. Uh, The Test Final. This is a big one for me. The Test Final to be a humdinger and also a sellout. It's here at the Oval. First week in June. Don't care who's playing in it. Uh, I just want it to be a real classic, a showpiece. The last one... Uh, it was a good finish but it was a six day game condensed into three because it pissed down in Southampton we, we want more than that this time round Yeah, and finally uh, the West Indies men's side just to turn up literally turn up to the World Cup in India but also to do well Yeah, if test cricket is finished in the West Indies and that conclusion is ever harder to avoid then uh, it still has to have some kind of vibrancy some sort of relevance in the world game White ball cricket is the only way through. Uh, it was horrifying to watch them so disjointed uh, last time out in the T20 in Australia. And so, yeah, crossing everything that they can get something out of that tournament in India, not to win it necessarily, but just to to reinstitute a little bit of pride and class uh, into mm. everybody's second favourite cricket in culture.
3: Uh, yeah, that, that was very good, Phil. Um, my one is, sounds quite broad. I want the cricket that's played to be really, really good and with a focus on two specific series. So the the, the Border Gavaskar Trophy and the Ashes, I think both... Well, you only the... care about the big three? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but g- given the lack of long test series elsewhere, those are the two that have the chance to be real all-time great test series. And mm. I really think they do. Like that, India obviously had that home dominance for so long. But if any team in any situation was going to challenge them, it would be this Australia side riding high as they are now um so that has the potential to be really really good but it also might not be you might just find that india can roll out some surfaces which help their spinners aussie spinners can't really compete and their batters can't find the solutions and uh and it ends up being actually the kind of series that that flatters that, that ends up being disappointing with a lot of hype around it the ashes i actually think whichever way it goes it will be really interesting and really fun um but i just basically want everyone to be Fit essentially like I'm, I'm already envisioning in my head, you know, the, the battle between you know, Pat Cummins and, and and Johnny Bairstow or Zach Crawley against Mitchell Stark or Josh Hayeswood or whoever it is. Uh, but if there are players who, who you know lose form or don't make it, or it is just there, there is something diminishing it, that would be a real shame when it has everything set up to be a classic, I think. Mm.
0: So I got four to uh. Around my own cricket and then two around the, the world game. or no, three around the world game. Uh, so one, I want to take 26 league wickets this season. Because that'll, that, that'll get me up to 100 for my club. If That's you get, lovely. And, and you get a cap if you get to 100. Do uh, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's class. Um, I, think, I think we might have a new leg spinner playing for the twos this year. Useful. Um, You'll it, pick up a lot of his it, wickets. His brother listens to the pod. So right. this is a direct message. You know who you are. Get your brother to play. He's going to take so many wickets for us this season. (laughs) Um, And then a thought I've had during the Football World Cup, the Darts World Championship and the T20 Blast. Quarterfinals are just great in sport. That's when the competition gets really good. And the Blast quarterfinals are always brilliant. And I think more needs to be made out of that. Like every year, the crowds are really up for it. The cricket's really good. So I hope this year, maybe it's too soon for it to happen in 2023. But going forward, people at the ECB just to realise this is one of our best products. Put this on the BBC. This is a better TV product than the hundred. It just is. They've they've got it and they've basically done nothing with it for years. You know, I'd mention the darts, but part of the reason why people love that Michael Smith nine data is the crowd goes mental. The crowd gets so into blast quarterfinals. It's county cricket that actually matters in front of packed houses. There's some brilliant ones this year. There's brilliant ones last year. Um So I hope that happens. I want Australia to win the first Test of the Ashes because I think that'll just make it a more interesting series. And then the more serious one is just an, an active movement from somewhere to revitalise Test cricket. Um Kind of going on what we were talking about earlier I'm open-minded about T20 cricket. I actually like it. I really like the IPL. I really like the PSL. But the, the looming domination does freak me out a little bit. And I think it's already gone that way. It's already too, ban- too imbalanced. Like this New Zealand-Pakistan series that's on now. You've got Trent Bolt playing the BBL at the moment over a test match where New Zealand desperately ate, uh 20 wickets. Lockie Ferguson would be absolutely ideal for this test series. He's played. He hasn't made a first-class game in three years. If they were English, they'd be playing. And I think we've already got to that point where test cricket is already a fair bit worse because of the financial imbalance. So just someone powerful from somewhere to do something to realise this is quite good. Um, I don't think that's too much to ask for.
1: Do you really want Australia to win the first test?
0: Yeah, I I think I do.
1: On on your serious point, your strokey beard point, uh, I want the ICC's voices to be louder this year. I want them to articulate the reality of their jobs. And I want them to explain to us why these decisions are being made and how much agency they actually have over the decisions that are made, how much power they have uh, to push through South Africa not playing a test match for three years, a three test series for three years, how much power they have to push through or block or urge against the West Indies playing six matches, six test matches in 2023. I'd like to hear from them. And I'd like them to be, like be up front for once uh, about the nature of their jobs, the nature of the landscape as it, as, it, as it seems, because we don't know. We really truly don't know. Is there a huge pile of money that's not being used to replenish the test game and to, to replenish the players' pockets to, in, to persuade them to be more engaged with it? Or is there no money for it? Is it the case that the money has been necessarily spread so far and wide across emergent nations that there's not that much money left for the top echelons of full-member test-playing nations? Why does, in, does Ireland and Afghanistan have test status if they don't want to play it because they lose money hand over fist? How can that possibly have got to, How can we have got to this point, and how do we get out of it? I'd like to hear from them. That's my actual. New Year's wish.
3: The statistic for me that's most sobering on the uh, Future Tours program that was what announced a few months ago is that in the newly announced series for that every series of four or more matches was played between two of England, India and Australia. Every series of three or more matches involved one of England, India or Australia mm-hmm. and every other series was Two matches or less. So three
0: test t- series literally don't exist unless yeah. the big three are playing. Yeah. Anyway, let's hear what Butch hopes for in 2023. Happy New Year, Butch. What are your hopes and dreams for 2023?
2: <laughs> well, then, that is a wide-ranging question. Um, do you want me to keep it to cricket or it's not? The cricket. Uh, <laughs> uh, hopes and dreams, cricket-wise for 2023. Well, I mean, trying to trying to widen it. Out as much as possible um, I, I really hope that having watched quite a lot of the the New Zealand Pakistan series that's, uh, that's halfway through or nearly nearly three quarters of the way through that they're the, sick the second and final test match um, I, I really hope that some of this sort of aggressive gung-ho losing doesn't losing test matches doesn't matter attitude starts to, to, to rub off elsewhere um, and it's got nothing to do with England, actually. I mean, obviously, England are doing it already. But I just think that for the game and for the sport as a whole, it's, uh, it it would be a magnificent thing. So I'd love to love to see more of that. I hope that that, and I'm pretty sure that that will continue apace pace during the Ashes anyway, just simply because of the the um, the macho ness of the of the two nations going uh, against one another. So so that's something to look forward to. Um, I hope that the uh, the qualifications. Uh, for the World Cup, throw up great interest. I mean, we're we're in a scenario now where, um, you know, where Ireland could find themselves in in the top eight to qualify, leaving South Africa, um, Sri Lanka, and the West Indies having to battle out for two spots in the qualification. Now, how extraordinary would that be? Um, so, you know, there are all kinds of interest, interesting sort of subplots around what happens before the World Cup in India in, in October. Uh, and then and then again, I hope, it, it, you know, the, the, the game does something to showcase itself um, in a magnificent way through the, throughout the course of that tournament. Obviously, it's going to be huge. You know, the, the, the Indian public will come out and support it um, in their droves. It requires India, I think, to go all the way to the final Um <laughs> and there will be a lot of countries around the place. that hope that doesn't happen for one reason or or another, whether that be um, financial jealousy or jealousy of any other type. Um, but that that'll be that'll be something to, to really look forward to. I hope. Um, again, you know, the, the fifty over format. I suppose w- w- when looking at it through through the twenty nineteen lens of being a, being English or being an, a, a former England player or being an England cricket fan, England and Wales cricket fan. You know that, that resurrected the format, right? Um, of course, but if you look at it from from elsewhere, from other people's point of view, that's not necessarily the case. So again, a, a big World Cup, a great World Cup, um, is required in order to kind of to to keep eyes on fifty over cricket. Otherwise, um, and this might not be a bad thing anyway. Otherwise, we might find ourselves with 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 a format, another format, which is battling hard to stay relevant. So there's lots at stake.
0: I, th- I think it could be in a weird way like the last normal ish year of international cricket as we know it, because as you say, fifty over cricket is gonna go through some kind of change between twenty twenty three and twenty twenty seven, one would suspect. Um even from an English test cricket mm. point of view, home ash is summer, but next summer England are playing two relatively weak sides at home. So it almost I almost feel like this is a year to to really savour whilst it's here. Um because if things might not look yeah. like this again.
2: No, you're right. I mean, you know there's I suppose there's all sorts of other other things at play, the, the 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 idea that the five Test match Ashes series um, is going to be sandwiched into you know little more than five weeks is, uh, I mean that that in itself um, creates, I mean it will create a lot of interest, but it might create a lot of a, a lot of issues around whether both teams are able to put their best teams out on the park, um, and it might end up being survival of the fitties at the end. Um, you know, I think we had it we had it the last time, didn't we? It, after the after the World Cup, in fact, that it was, that the whole thing was sandwiched into a very small, um, small period of time, and you know, one of the things I suppose the nostalgic um, in me, uh, the, the nostalgia fan in me, sort of looks back to to old Ashes series or watching it when I was a kid and, and having the having the, the narrative spread out over the course of the summer. Well, that we're not going to get that, and you know, unlikely to get that sort of thing ever again um so you know that that, that's it's important that that goes extremely well um it's also then i think very important for lots and lots of different reasons that, that, that the hundred kind of goes off with a bit more of a bang than it did last year i think that the general feeling was that it kind of it didn't back up year one particularly well um and lots of people will be um, will be very unhappy about the fact that it is kind of that it, that it seems to have sandwiched the um, the, the, the ashes um, into that smaller window and so therefore there's quite a bit of pressure on on the hundred to um to deliver uh, um, during the course of of what is going to be a, a, a rather big august for it you know and I'd, I kind of there are lots and lots of reasons why why you should be why people are rightly upset about the hundred and its place in the English cricket calendar. And there are all sorts of reasons why, if it doesn't succeed, that could be very problematic for the game going forward. So um, you've got to kind of hold your nose and hope that it goes goes brilliantly well, I think, um, on the back of of, of, a, of a memorable Ashes series.
0: There's absolutely loads to look forward to in 2023. And uh, I think we all look forward to seeing how it plays out. Cheers to time, Butch. That is all we have time for on today's show. That flew by. Uh, Well done, Phil. (laughs) Well done, Ben. We'll be back next week where we have an interview, hopefully, with one of England's bad ballers at the Sports
2: Social Podcast Network.